What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. President Biden signaled to the country this week that he's hoping to turn the page from one of the most controversial chapters of the Trump presidency, the separation of migrant parents from their children in American custody. Today I'm going to sign a few executive orders In 2017, the Trump administration wanted to prosecute as many border crossing offenses as possible. That effort meant the parents were prosecuted while children were detained separately. The policy caused serious backlash from both parties, from Americans who were shocked to see the U.S. pulling families apart on its own soil. I think the separation of children from family is the most cruel thing one can do. I think he's crazy. He's heartless. He's crazy. He's cruel. Uh, the family should be not, should be together, not separated. You know, making America great could be the should be the aspiration of every American citizen. But we're not going to do that by making America mean. Eventually, President Trump reversed course and ended the policy back in 2018. But for many families, years later, their hardship is not over. Thousands of families are still separated. And now the Biden administration is taking on the ambitious task of bringing them back together. I'm not making new law. I'm eliminating bad policy. Um, What I'm doing is taking on the issues that 99% 99% of them that the president... But can Biden really the bring States. these families back together? What will it take to locate and reunite parents and children who've been apart in different countries for years? Immigration was an area where the Trump administration made a lot of changes. What else will Biden seek to undo and how will his era of immigration policy be defined? This is Can He Do That, a podcast exploring the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. On Tuesday, Biden signed several executive orders on immigration. The orders were aimed at reviewing and potentially reversing some Trump administration policies that had been designed to deter migrants along the U.S.-Mexico border. There are three major aspects to the orders. One of them is reuniting families who were separated at the border under the policy of zero tolerance. Kevin Seif is the Washington Post's correspondent in Latin America. There's another executive order that sort of speaks more broadly to revising asylum regulations in the U.S., making it easier to get asylum. And then there's another effort to sort of, you know, tackle the root causes of migration, which mostly means increasing aid, foreign assistance to Central America, so that people sensibly don't have, don't, don't need to migrate the way that they have in the past. And there's also, there's a point the administration makes about trying to offer, trying to make it easier for people to apply for asylum or some kind of protective status in the U.S. without actually having to migrate to the U.S. border, which as we know is an incredibly dangerous journey. And then once they get to the border is incredibly complicated legally. We don't know what that will look like, but that's another, another thing that was mentioned in the executive orders. I want to focus on the first executive order that you mentioned, which is the order to create a homeland security task force to reunite families separated by Trump's zero tolerance border crackdown. So first, can you just remind us 
what this Trump policy was that that did separate families at the border. The Trump administration, as a deterrent, as a way of deterring migration to the United States, implemented a policy that it called zero tolerance. Basically, what that did is mandated that anyone who crossed the border would have to be prosecuted. And so families that crossed the border together, parents and children, would be separated while the parent was prosecuted. What we know now is that it was really an effort by the Trump administration to keep to try to deter families from migrating because during those years, 2017, 2018, and 2019, the the sort of bulk of migration was families coming to the United States from Central America. And so what started happening in July 2017 and continued for basically a year through June 2018 was thousands of families crossed the border and were routinely separated. In all, about 5,500 families were separated. And not only were they separated, but the government, the Trump administration, kept almost no records of where the children or the parents were sent after separation. So 5,500 families were separated. And now, years later, we have very little sense of where those families are. We don't know in many cases whether the parents are back in Central America. We don't know where the kids are, if the kids are in the U.S., if the kids were back with the parents in Central America. There are a huge number of questions about where those families are. So these parents were were separated in order to be prosecuted, but there's not necessarily records of where those prosecutions took them or where they ended up as a result? That's right. So in some cases, there are records that parents are deported, but we don't know where they are today. So we may know that a mother or a father was deported to Guatemala, for example, but we have no way to reach that parent. And so what that means today, what that means for the Biden administration is because the Biden administration has this plan to reunify thousands, potentially thousands of families, they first have to find them, but they don't know, they don't know how, they don't know where they are. And so there's this sort of remarkable thing happening right now where there are search parties really spread across all of Central America trying to locate these families so that if and when the Biden administration decides that they are going to reunify these families, they at least know where they are. They can present the options to the families. They can explain to the parents what the administration is offering. Are these search parties new under the Biden administration or were people searching for these families prior to him becoming president? So these search parties under the Trump administration existed, but were entirely independent of government. So they were done by NGOs, attorneys, advocates, but were not sponsored in any way by the Trump administration. And now there's an interesting dynamic where we don't know whether the Biden administration will conduct its own searches, whether this sort of reunification effort will be entirely conducted by the government, or if there's going to be sort of a a merging of the effort that existed by civil society under the Trump administration with, you know, the State Department, the Department of Homeland Security, other other parts of the Biden administration. There are a lot of details that still need to be worked out. I think the executive order on family reunification, all it really does is make it clear that the Biden administration is thinking about this topic once in some way to reunify these families. But the specifics on how are, are still still very unclear. And you mentioned this policy under the Trump administration was put in place as a deterrent. Do we know at this point whether it did much to actually deter families from migrating to the U.S.? The evidence points to that it didn't. I mean, as the policy was being implemented and in, in the wake of the policy, the numbers remained very high. And so I, I don't think there's any evidence that it did work as a deterrent, but obviously the broader 
question about it is how far is any U.S. administration willing to go to deter migration? You know, is separating families at the border a legitimate strategy against keeping people from migrating? And I think the consensus, you know, I think what a lot of, you know, both people in the Trump administration, but also people more broadly interested in immigration realized for almost anyone watching, it felt like that was going too far. It was a hugely unpopular policy. And obviously it's, it's impact on human rights, the people who actually, who were migrating and were separated, so dramatic, so awful, that it sort of felt like beyond the pale, I think, to basically anyone watching. And you followed some of the stories of people who've been directly impacted by these policies. You've talked to some people who have felt the harms of being separated from their parents or separated from their children. I think most people are aware of the trauma of family separation. I think a lot of people remember the stories of parents who were physically torn apart from their kids at the border. And that, and that is a, a kind of unspeakable trauma, I think, for both parent and child. I think people may be less aware that years after that initial separation, hundreds of families remain separated. And so not only are they, are they reckoning with the trauma of a physical separation, but they've now been apart for three years in some cases. And so, you know, I've been in touch with a number of these families. One of them is Maria, who's a 33-year-old Guatemalan mother. She was physically torn from her daughter, July 2017, who was seven at the time. You're hearing Maria's voice in a message she sent to Kevin this week. Kevin translated for us. My daughter and I keep the hope that we'll be together. She cries and she says, Mom, I need you. Sometimes she says, Mom, I want to give you a goodnight hug. Only my cousins get goodnight hugs. She always has the desire to be together, the two of us. Sometimes I say, have patience. Very soon we'll see each other. Very soon we'll be together. She says, I love to be here in school, and I don't want to go back to Guatemala. Here I can study better, and they teach me better. If only I could return. I've tried multiple times to get back to her, but I couldn't. I want to be with her. I want to be with my daughter, to see her in person. But in reality, we're such a far distance apart. So I hope that they do something for us. If they give us an opportunity to reunify, it would be so much appreciated. I would appreciate it so much. She was detained for six months. She tried her best to, to, to fight her way out uh, of detention, applied for asylum, and ultimately was deported back to Guatemala. Her daughter was sent to Florida to live with an aunt. And Maria was sent back to rural Guatemala. And like any parent, I think, was trying to figure out what to do next, how she was ever going to see her daughter again. So she migrated again illegally to the United States, tried again to cross the border, was again apprehended, explained to a judge along the border that she had come back from Guatemala to see her daughter, was deported once again, and has now been waiting in rural Guatemala for three and a half years to see her daughter. They talk almost every day by video calls. So she's, she's basically watching her daughter grow up um, on the phone. 
And, you know, she, like a lot of these parents, heard about Joe Biden's plan to reunify families. And in, in a very remote part of Central America, suddenly became very invested in the presidential election. And so when Biden won, she was, you know, she was ecstatic because she knew this maybe meant that she was going to be able to see her daughter again. She didn't know exactly how, when, but now there is, there is some hope for her. There is the path to reunification. And so she's like hundreds of other parents is just trying to figure out when that might happen, how that might happen. How has Maria reacted since plans for Biden's executive order became clear? I spoke to her on Monday night. And at that point, she'd heard a little bit about, about Biden's plan to create a task force. But she's still, I think, like, like, like a lot of us, even, even people who are covering this really closely, still confused about what that's going to mean for her. And I think it's hard because her, her daughter will ask her, okay, so like, when are we going to see each other again? You know, what does this mean for us? When are you going to be able to hug me again? And, you know, Maria kind of has to just like try to be as vague as, as possible and say, well, you know, as soon as I can, as soon as I can. But she doesn't know. This story about family separation somewhat faded from the headlines a few years ago, but there's real people who are fighting to still see their families every day who have been engrossed in this battle for the past several years. Someone explained it to me this way. Parents maybe will know the feeling of like losing their kids in the supermarket for like 30 seconds. Someone was saying, that's how I felt for the last three years. Like that sense of panic never diminishes. God, that's awful. I have a three-year-old. That is awful to think about. To be clear, families are still separated, but this isn't still happening, right? Families aren't being separated still at the border. Sort of what's the status of this actual family separation policy? Yeah. So in, in June of 2018, Trump signs an executive order ending the policy. And then at the end of that month, a federal judge ordered that a number of families who were at that moment in federal custody be reunited. And so that, that moment, sort of the end of June 2018, was really the last time that the policy was being implemented as such. There are still other ways in which families sometimes end up separated. For example, if an uncle ends up traveling to the U.S. border with his nephew, they could sometimes be separated because he's not, it's not a parent and child. And then in some cases, right now, the border is effectively closed to asylum seekers. So in some cases, parents will send their kids across alone that's easier to cross for an unaccompanied child than for a family. And so it's, a, it's another way in which U.S. policy is leading to family separation, but it's not, it's not physically a Border Patrol agent taking a, a child from a parent, which is what we saw happen for over a year under the Trump administration. Is there any evidence that Biden is going to change some of these policies that still result in family separation? So I think the Biden administration is very aware that there are ways in which Families can be separated, even if it's not physically a mother and a child being pried apart. And that, that was sort of alluded to in the description of the executive order. One of the major policies the Biden administration will have to tackle is called the Migrant Protection Protocols, MPP. And that's the policy that forces asylum seekers to wait in Mexico while their cases are sort of going through U.S. courts. The Biden administration has promised to undo that policy. The problem is right now, there's another policy that basically closes the entire border. It's called Title 42, using the sort of the, the, using the pandemic as a reason why asylum seekers can't cross the border. So even though the Biden administration has promised to repeal MPP, there's another policy that it is continuing to implement that still basically forces asylum seekers effectively to wait for their cases in Mexico. What it means effectively is if you're an asylum seeker coming to the U.S. border, nothing has really changed for you. 
And what the Biden administration is saying is that eventually, once the pandemic is sort of more under control, the asylum system will will become functional, will become what it once was pre-Trump. So is it a correct assessment to say that Biden's executive orders send a signal about the administration's intentions around immigration, around undoing some of Trump's immigration policies, but a lot remains to be seen about the details of how these executive orders will play out? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think it's at this point mostly about sending a message that, you know, the Trump administration went on an all-out assault against immigration. Biden has made clear so far that that is ending under his watch. And as you say, what we don't know is what it will look like, what asylum will look like under Biden, and what parents like Maria don't know is when they're going to see their kids again, If even still if they're going to see their kids again. They know that there's a better chance, but that, you know, there's still no guarantee and there's still no timeline. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. Biden's executive order, as Kevin explained, has few details about how parents and children will be reunited. But I wanted to better understand what those attempts at reunification could look like and how hard of a task this really is. So I asked someone whose career has been dedicated to immigration policy. My name is Ali Nirani. I'm the president and the CEO of the National Immigration Forum. We're a nonpartisan immigration advocacy organization, and we really try to engage conservative and moderate leaders from faith, law enforcement, and business while working alongside our allies within the immigrant rights movement. Basically, the National Immigration Forum works to find and promote policy solutions that lots of stakeholders can agree on. Ali says Biden's executive order establishing an interagency task force to bring families together is a welcome step. For President Biden to say on day one, these are the things that he wants to do differently, I think are good for the country, good for immigrants. But for me, the biggest question is, how exactly are agencies going to tackle this? So yeah, that's that's the big question, right? So first of all, I would argue that it's a basic data gathering. What data, what records exist at HHS, Justice, DHS, to begin to identify who these families are? I think one of the best parts of of having the State Department part of this is that as these families just by name are identified, then consular offices and embassies in Central America can be deployed to work through communities and work with nonprofits in those countries to identify families. So it's very much a data gathering and then an outreach effort. And I kind of think like one of the most difficult parts of this is going to be, you know, that first phone call from, let's just say, a consular office in Honduras to a family member there in the Coffee Highlands. I mean, these are families who've had a terrible, terrible experience with the United States government. So when they pick up the phone and that person says, hi, I'm with the U.S. government and I'm here to help, they're going to have some convincing to do. And then you get into questions of where are the children, who are they with here in the States, what's their current legal status, where is their case? And then you get into questions of what opportunities will the family have to reunify whether here in the States 
or back in Central America. And what might those opportunities to reunify look like? Well, in the order itself, it's pretty vague. You know, they talk about what opportunities exist under applicable law. And those include, but I'm sure are not limited to, reopening an asylum case, applying for and receiving some sort of deferred action. You know, if the child ends up remaining in the U.S., how is their status as an unaccompanied child processed and facilitated so they can get a permanent legal status. So there's no lack of opportunities here. I think it's going to come down to how much the agencies and ultimately the White House really want to make these families whole again and make sure that they can enjoy the privileges of legal status in the United States and get away from the terrible situations they were fleeing in Central America. Do we yet have a sense how much the White House does want to prioritize this? Well, I think the fact that this issue is so deeply seared into millions of Americans' minds, and again, I'm not talking just about Democrats. I I think for a number of Republicans, this left a very deep imprint. So I think that there is a, a moral imperative for the administration to act with a moral urgency on this, but that's also a political imperative to really make good on a promise to a lot of conservative and moderate families who believe in family values and were mortified by what the Trump administration did. And based on conversations I've had with our reporters in the field, a lot of these families have looked to the Biden administration as a sign of hope, as a sign that this man has said he will reunite our families, perhaps he will, we're gonna invest emotionally in that idea. But my question is, how much of this is really within Biden's power? How many of these pieces of of this reunification depend on his executive leadership? I would say the majority of them, because remember, you know, this all started by an executive decision by President Trump to destroy these families. So I think that President Biden has, quite frankly, the majority of the responsibility in terms of bringing these families back together. Now, there needs to be collaboration with NGOs, whether on the border or in Central America. There's probably going to need to be collaboration with governments in Central America or in Mexico. I think they should bring in organizations like UNHCR, International Organization of Migration. So this is not a simple task by any means, but there are entities out there who want to be a part of a solution. And I think that the president has to, and he seems to be leading that charge. What's missing from this specific executive order that you're hoping to see or that we don't know enough information about yet? That's a really, really good question. I think as the process goes, it'll be important for us to watch, you know, in essence, kind of how long it takes. A lot of these orders that have been rolled out have, you know, 60, 120 day, 180 day windows. A lot of these families have been separated for two years. Let's see if we can accelerate that so people are getting reunified in a matter of weeks instead of a matter of months. Second is, what are the opportunities under current law for people to remain in the United States? How are they deploying asylum officers? How are they engaging the legal community? Because so many lawyers on the border and beyond have been involved in this. So there are a lot of details in here in terms of how they run the logistics of, kind of reuniting these families that are really important. And then ultimately, one of the findings that we are most interested in is how did the Trump administration arrive at this place? Because we've seen a lot of great reporting about it, but what were the really internal workings and how do we make sure as a nation that this never happens again? And is there any attempts at accountability for the people who created or designed these family separation policies? Does the Biden administration care about that? Right now, that's a little bit unclear. And, you know, they haven't made any hard commitments of will people be prosecuted. I believe that the White House said that that will be ultimately a, a decision coming out of justice. So a lot of this disclosure phase of this investigation by the task force will be kind of uncovering 
you know, the people who put these pieces into place, what they were doing, and ultimately is there something that they should be and can be held accountable for by justice. And just to zoom out from family separation to all of the executive orders as a package, what stood out to you here in this package? I think what's been most notable, and this is both part of the executive orders this week, but also part of the day one conversation that they had around their immigration plan, was really an investment in Central America. So back in 2019, I did a couple of trips to Central America and got to kind of see things and and talk to leaders on the ground. And it's this combination of violence, corruption, impunity, and poverty that's really driving people north. So what are the civil society solutions that can be put into place through foreign direct aid, through accountability measures? Under the Obama administration, then Vice President Biden took a leadership role in really directing programs and directing funding to the region. So it's good to see through the executive order and even through the plan that they're going to be proposing an investment in the region and in the stability of the region. And then also putting into place you know, programs like the Central American Miners Program that allows young people to apply for asylum protections closer to home instead of having to travel Mexico. So all those things, I think, are really good for Central Americans, for the region, and ultimately for us as a nation. Now, the Biden administration has taken steps over the past few days and really since day one in office to undo some of Trump's immigration policies. But what remains? What pieces of Trump's policies won't immediately be undone by these orders? So I would draw our attention to one particular measure, and this was that's known as the public charge rule. And what the Trump administration said is that an immigration officer, based on kind of their assumption that somebody would in the future use a public benefit, that that individual could be blocked from becoming a citizen, getting a green card, or even entering the country. The net result of that rule, if it was to be implemented over time, would be a massive decrease in legal immigration. So what the Biden administration did this week, and this is, I think, one of the the most important processes they've begun, is start to assess how they undo that rule. Undoing that rule cannot be done by executive order. They'll have to go through a rule-setting process. But ultimately, we need to bring a level of fairness and equity back to our immigration system. Are there sort of on the flip side pieces of Trump's agenda that Biden might want to leave in place? I think like some of the things that, you know, Trump had to make some some decisions around managing immigration much more tightly in the context of COVID-19. So the travel restrictions on countries that are facing serious outbreaks of COVID-19, Those have remained in place. I think ultimately they will be lifted as the pandemic lifts. So there's some things in the short term for the safety and the health of the country that, yes, makes sense. But, you know, out of the 400 plus immigration orders that Trump put forward, I think there are 400 plus that need to be turned around. All right. My last question to you. What is sort of the big ticket item that you want to see the Biden administration's immigration agenda achieve over the next four years? I'm going to cheat a little bit. Number one, I think... President Biden should work with Republicans and Democrats in Congress to achieve incremental immigration reforms. Let's legalize parts of the undocumented immigrant community. Let's rebuild our legal immigration system. Let's bring some sanity back to immigration enforcement. And let's engage Republicans in that process, because I think that's good for the country in so many different ways. In terms of the White House DHS top issue, I would focus in on legal immigration. I think that rescinding the public charge rule, facilitating access to naturalization, ensuring our universities can get 
the students and the talent uh, that they need. Those long-term, I think, are incredibly healthy for the country. Uh, so we really need to be thinking about innovative ways to rebuild the immigration system, looking at different metrics, and really looking at the long-term demographic and economic health of the country. Based on your years of working in this field, how likely do you think the Biden administration is to achieve some of what you just talked about? Even under the Trump administration, great things happened on immigration because a growing majority of the American public said what this president is doing is wrong. As a result, today we enjoy greater support for immigrants and immigration than ever before, which then I think provides a President Biden an incredible amount of space to make the case to the entirety of the country that immigrants and immigration are a net benefit to the American worker and their family. And that's in large part because President Trump turned so many Republican voters against him on this very issue. All right, Ali, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? If you're enjoying the new direction of the show, tell a friend. It really helps our audience grow and it means a lot to us. And thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Arjun Singh and Charla Freeland with production help this week from Bishop Sand, logo art by Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Muldoon. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL.